Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul has a phrase that he uses, a title, if you will, and uh, it's, I argue, next to his statement about apostleship, it is one of the most important terms that he uses. He, you can translate it a couple different ways, fellow laborer, co-worker, um, but it's, it's, it's a title that's very important to the Apostle Paul. He gives it to a number of different people. He gives it to people that are his peers. Barnabas, for example, would be one, um, even superior at certain points within his ministry. He gives it to those who are, who are under him, who work with him, sons in the Lord, daughters in the Lord. Um, he gives it to men. He gives it to women and uh, co-workers. And um, our co-workers are, are, are both provided by God within the gospel. Our co-workers are provided by God, and they're also chosen by us, both together. And uh, God has given me Leela. She is my co-worker. Art's been kind enough to share her with me in that sense. She and Regina have an excellent relationship, and so the integrity of our relationship when I hired her we had very frank conversations about the importance of our marriages, the importance of the integrity of how we handled ourselves with one another. But God has gifted me with Leela. If you've been any amount of time around here, you understand that if you're looking to do anything within this church and you want to sideline her, you're going to have a hard time because she's my fellow laborer. And, um, and I appreciate God's provision because in some ways... The woman drives me batty. So, Art, I feel you, brother. But in another sense, I know why you married her. Because she has some gifts and some talents that are extremely valuable to the kingdom. They're extremely valuable to us as a community. They're extremely valuable to me as a pastor. And um, I say that because... That relationship and that commitment has been communicated both directions, from her to me and from me to her, over a lot of years. In fact, over two decades now, we have worked together. And I, and I readily admit to you that not every stage of that relationship did I handle myself perfectly well. I probably should have been a little kinder when I looked at her and said, now you go sit in that chair and don't say a word. You're a warm body. You got to understand, I was a young punk when I said that. <laughs> and she sat there and she steamed at the collar, I'm sure. Knowing her now, I'm sure that she was hot to trot, but she did it. And she stuck with me. And some other things that are a little bit more private, not inappropriate, but just a little bit more private, that, that she chose, that she valued that coworker status more than she did her own personal opinions and even her own personal preferences. And, uh, and so I've, I've tried in later years with greater wisdom to show that same deferral <laughs> coming back the other direction. The reason I say that is every once in a while, if you're around me, you'll see me and her do something a little funny. It comes from a story of my, of my, of my dad's. But every once in a while, usually as a, it, it, it's tied to she'll be fanning herself or, or she'll be pulling something off, and I'll go, is Mary Jo here? Because if you don't know it, what Lil was telling you in somewhat coded language is, is she's somewhere on that 
change of life cycle. It's called menopause. Yep, yep. I remember, and I, I'm, Mama, I'm sorry for this. Daddy, I'm sorry for this. But one of the most intense times that I ever saw in my parents' life. My parents, very broken people, got a, got a lot of brokenness in the past. And God took two broken people who did make a commitment to one another. And that's about all they had. They bumped into each other. They hurt one another. They, not intentionally, but they just, they struggled. But they were committed. And God was gracious and kind and has seen them through it. One of the worst times of their marriage was this period where my father became a total jerk as a husband. He didn't really. It's just mom's hormone shifted. And suddenly everything that registered about this high on the scale suddenly registered this high on the scale. And I remember my parents, both my parents, trying to talk to elders about this scenario. And getting the answer, and I understand that, that some ladies, you, you don't, you, this is an honest answer, but I don't think it's all of you. Oh, I never had any trouble at all. <laughs> and it was very frustrating. I remember listening to my mom and my dad both talk about how that this is just, well, then what's wrong with me? Why, why are we having such, such trouble? So as I sat here and I listened to you talk about live truthfully, I, I thought to myself, I thought, well, we're we go, we going to do that. Because I get in trouble with the elders in this congregation because you all don't like how truthfully I live. <laughs> I had one dear elder. I love them. Will not name their gender. Will not name who they are. But come up and say, I agree with everything you said last Sunday. Except when you went to the bedroom. I said, I understand, elder. I said, but I got a generation I need to be able to speak to. So kindly, you're going to have to give me liberty. So for all of you elders that right now want to stay behind that little cloak that, oh, there was no problems, there's nothing happened, hormone shift, and we just handle it, I'm out of that a little bit. Menopause is kicking Regina and I's fanny. My worst fears. I told you. I told you a year before. I told you. I said, I'm scared to death of this because I watched it kick my mom's fanny. My dad turned into the biggest jerk. Now, my dad can be a jerk every once in a while. I, I, but not that big of a jerk. Well, man, I, I mean, you all know I can be a jerk, right? Everybody, amen? Resounding amen on that? Yeah. See, I knew you'd all be there. I can be intense. I, to live with me is, is something. It takes the same. I know why you, why, whether you call her that or you think that, call St. Regina. Well, but, but I, I am less a jerk now than I've ever been. I, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the best husband I have ever been. I got a long ways to go, but I'm the best husband I have ever been. But not on certain days. Because that menopause shows up, and dear God Almighty, it's kicking our tails. You go, what are you doing, preacher? Living truthfully. Because we're not the only ones that face it. Don't mistake, don't mistake the bluster for the lack of wisdom. Don't think I don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking right now. Don't live it alone. Don't live it alone. I'm not going to let my coworker live it alone, so we talk straight. 
So, was it Friday? No, Thursday. So Thursday I had a meeting. Desi was too sick. I didn't want to be in his presence, so he was on the computer. Lil and I were at home with Amani, and uh, so we were on a meeting with, with Desi on, on the computer. And that morning, menopause had struck. Like big time. It kicked her tail and it kicked mine. And I was mad. I didn't like my wife. I didn't want anything to do with her. Desi, I'm sorry. You saw that come out in that phone call. I'm a rough cop, but I went beyond. I don't even know if you picked up on it, but I went beyond where I was supposed to go. I already told Lil this. See, preacher, why are you doing this? If I can do it publicly, I might give some of you courage to do it privately. Live truthfully. Your executive pastor just preached something extremely important to you. Live truthfully. You shall know the truth. And the truth is what sets you free. When you live truthfully, you unleash God to live in your life. When you live truthfully, you unleash the spirit of truth to operate in your life. When you live truthfully, you've got he who knows not anything impossible working on your behalf. When you hide, when you do all of that, I don't need to redo all that Lil did. She did it perfectly well tonight. When you live that way, you got the devil working in your midst. You want to live truthfully. So pray for Regina and I, because it's kicking our butts, but we're going to make it through. Oh, the shine's done gone, man. We're down to like, there's nothing left on it, man. It's down to brass tacks, but we're committed. 23 years, this year goes to 24, right? 2020 turns into 24. One more year is 25. We're going to make it. We're going to survive. Pray for our children. We're really praying we're not scarring them, but oh my goodness, but we, we just go at it. I mean, it's, it's the way it is. Live truthfully. All right. Oh no, they don't put their head down. They, they, in fact, sometimes, sometimes they're horrible. They, they act like they don't literally do it, but they're like, Where's the popcorn so we can watch the show? <laughs> They're as impudent as I am. All right, that's not my sermon tonight. So, Desi, please forgive me. I didn't handle myself quite the way. You still do need to tell Rachel to leave you alone to do part of the job, but just not that way. And I already apologize to you, Lil. And to the rest of you, don't hide. When you struggle, reach out to your family. It's called your small group. If you don't have one, join up. When you struggle, reach out to those that are around you. Don't walk this walk alone. We live in a broken world. It's okay for you to be broken. We serve a master who is taking broken pieces and putting them together and making something beautiful. Aren't you glad that he's doing that? Aren't you glad that he's doing that? Amen. Amen. And the older generation that says, I don't get this, young punk. Well, just give me the space because there's a generation that understands what I just did. I just gave them permission to be real. Let me take you to a passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, a little didn't leave me much time, so I'm going to have to move along. She used to not have enough to say, and now she, she's got too much to say. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's fine. Matthew chapter 16 
So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, am I on the right version? Yes. New Living Translation, right? Yeah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this is a passage you all know very well, okay? He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? So these are the men, the women that have been walking with him, that have been spending time with him, and they report to him what others out there are saying, and then he says, what do you say? Simon Peter, he opens his mouth, and he speaks in a moment of clarity, in a moment of revelation, in a moment of understanding. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And then we're given one of these movements in the Gospels. We don't know how much time passes. It's sitting right next to it, but some time passes by the way it says, because it says from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I, for just a brief moment here, want to draw your attention to what I'm calling moments of discipleship. This service is geared towards those of us who are very committed. We are engaged in the process, or you're desirous to be. And I know that there are new folks here. There are folks that are newer with us. And so you are, you're on a good path. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful to the house of God. Sunday night is where we, we feed you the steak. It's the meat and potatoes. Jesus gave a mandate to his disciples and says, you need to go and you need to make disciples. The way you make disciples is that you teach them and you baptize them and then you teach them some more. Making disciples has good moments and bad moments. 
Making disciples has moments that are encouraging and moments that are downright depressing. Making disciples has moments that you feel exhilarated in and other moments where you feel utterly defeated. Now, we, we, we read this passage, and many times you may have even heard it preached or presented that it was back-to-back. I'm not sure that that's really accurate, but Jesus had a moment of absolute exhilaration. Peter got it. He knows who I am. He understands who I am. He doesn't think I'm a prophet. He doesn't think I'm somebody else. He understands that I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. And the point tonight is not what Peter knew, but rather Peter had a moment of revelation. Peter had a moment of understanding. Peter had a moment of growth. And when that happens with someone that you're working with to be a disciple, that is one of the most exhilarating moments. When you see them get it. When you see the light bulb go on, when you see them go, and you're like, yes, that's what I've been talking to them about, or that's what I've been modeling to them, or that's what I've been trying to do for a long time. And remember, all of us are ongoing disciples. We never stop growing So I have great moments. I have moments with people who are making disciples themselves, and then I I sometimes have aha moments because of them, and they have aha moments because of me. In fact, that's the definition of a co-worker. It's a consternating thing to have somebody like Lil sit me down and go, now, Steve, I love you, but you're messing this up. Because usually I'm the one walking around going, Lil, you messed this up. Lil, you messed this up. She has to put up with it out of me. But I got to put up with it out of her too. See, this ongoing discipleship, you need to change your brain. Discipleship is not, oh, I got the Holy Ghost, I got baptized, I've repented of my sins, I'm living a holy life, I've arrived. No, 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 no. You are a disciple till the day you die. And discipleship means denying self. Discipleship means laying down your thoughts, your ways. And you're always constantly having to grow in that. You cannot ever stop growing. Somebody say amen. Amen. Just make that commitment that you're going to keep growing till the day you die. Your role will change. Your function will change. But your ongoing relationship of discipleship does not change. And God uses all kinds of things to bring us to moments of revelation, moments of understanding, moments of maturity, and moments of growth. By the way, as a side note, you want to really make it as a disciple? Do not surround yourself with people who speak only nice things to you. Surround yourself with people who will speak truth to you, even when you don't like that truth. Okay? I know we all have sensitive skins. We all like to be affirmed. But you don't really grow from affirmation. I didn't say you don't need it. But you don't really grow from affirmation. You grow from correction. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, he chasteneth, even as a son or a daughter in whom he delighteth. I don't like to be corrected. You can ask anybody that works with me. I don't like to be corrected. But you will not grow if you are not corrected. 
Something had come together for Peter. Something had gelled. And this walking with Jesus had finally come to a point of understanding. He says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. And, and Jesus was excited. And Jesus was happy. Jesus says, that's awesome, Peter. That didn't come to you by your own means. But you must have been talking to God. And God has been speaking to you. And, and so Peter that's awesome, and, and I'm going to use you, and he's just excited. It's that moment of discipleship that's encouraging, that's even exhilarating. But I got news for you. If you're going to make disciples, you can't just have moments of exhilaration. You can't just have moments where somebody gets it. You yourself can't have moments where you've always got it. Because part of Peter's growth, part of Peter's ongoing discipleship was not just the moment where he said, thou art the Christ, and you're right, Jesus said. No, no, no. It was also the moments of correction. Where Peter's looking at Jesus and going, I don't want you to die. You need to stop talking that way, Peter. You're lacking faith. He starts lecturing the Lord. If you're going to make disciples, I got news for you. Anyone that God is using you to make or to be a part of making a person a disciple, you will have moments when they lecture you and they're dead wrong. They will. And sometimes you just let it happen because time and space will fix it. But sometimes you got to withstand them. This was one of those moments. I don't exactly know why, but Jesus literally looks at Peter and calls him Satan. Now, I don't believe he thought that Peter was actually Satan, but what he was saying is, is you're operating as a tool, as an instrument of Satan. And it's interesting, I don't have the time tonight to dwell on it, and I'm not going to, but it's interesting that he says the reason is, is because, Peter, you're looking through human eyes. You're not seeing things the way God sees them. You just, or maybe a few days, or maybe even a little bit longer than that, you saw something through God's eyes. You stop seeing the man with no good looks. You stop seeing the, the, the carpenter from Nazareth. You stop seeing Jesus of Nazareth, and you saw the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but now, Peter, you've reverted back because discipleship is almost always two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes it's one step forward and one step back, and that's really frustrating to walk with because then you hardly get anywhere. <laughs> two steps at least and one back, you got it one step forward. But that's what happens. You have these moments of, of acceleration, of learning, of growth, and then it's like, oh, man, what did they, oh, they do that for? I thought they got it. Well, they did, but they didn't. But they did, but not totally. Kind of, sort of, but more work is needed. And the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care where you are in the ongoing discipleship, but that's how God deals with all of us. We have moments in which we've got it. 
We have moments in which we've spoken a word or we've made a choice or we lived our life in such a way that God's just so excited and you can feel his pleasure. And then there's other times that we're just, we're knuckleheaded. We go backwards, if you will. When it comes to your ongoing discipleship, you need to understand that you cannot be a disciple by only affirmation. You must also have correction. Both are present. And I hate to say this, but the moments of greatest growth will not come from the moments of affirmation. It'll come from when you blew it and you heard the voice of correction and you respond. That's when you grow. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. But I want us also to understand that when we are discipling others, when you, by your lifestyle, by your modeling, by the way that you're living, when you are helping another fellow traveler become more and more dedicated to Jesus, you've got to be prepared that it will be steps forward and also steps back. The same person with the same God, with the same set of circumstances, will have a moment of epiphany and revelation, thou art the Christ, and then turn around (laughs) and rebuke that very Christ and have to in turn be rebuked by the Christ. Satan, get behind me because you're not looking through the right eyes. You're not seeing things the way that you're supposed to. None of us have ever arrived. By the way, on a side note, that is why I am transparent in front of you. I have not arrived. Doesn't mean I'm not trying, and it doesn't mean that God's mercy and his grace will not be sufficient for me, but I have not arrived. Now, most of you agree with that. The problem is, is you got to understand that my My soulmate, the one I chose, she ain't arrived either. That one's harder for you to believe. The two of us have not arrived. In fact, none of us have arrived. And if you're walking around acting like you've arrived, then you're not living truthfully. If we're really about making disciples, we better live truthfully because your brokenness might help your fellow traveler. I'm going to say that again. Your brokenness might help your fellow traveler. I didn't. I know I'm real open. I know I'm really out there. But I also feel sitting in that pew, God says, you need to get up there and be transparent. I don't know who I just helped tonight, but somebody got help tonight. I don't know if it's in a specific thing right now or if it's something that got planted in your heart and your mind that later will come to you. And when you need to be open and everything around you saying, hide, hide, hide. Don't let it out. Be fake. Well, if the preacher can do it, maybe I can. I'd like to think that all of my good modeling is what makes great disciples, but I got news for you. Sometimes it's in my broken moments that I am most effective in making disciples. Not because I did wrong or I did something imperfectly, but what I did in response to that. Because once I figured out that in that moment I was mad at my wife, I wanted nothing to do with her, and I got off that phone quick as a whip. I was curt. I was nasty. I wanted. I didn't want her. And you can look at me all nasty. 
You can think whatever you want. I, I was like done with her. And I'm not going to tell you all that she did that day, but she jacked me up and I was done. I wasn't leaving her, but I was mad. So you shouldn't think that way. I just have a little come up and preach again to you because y'all, if, you, if you're thinking that, you're not living truthfully. Come on now, you're not living truthfully. You're not being honest with yourselves. Just because you didn't put it out your mouth, and I did, didn't mean it didn't go in your mind. In your mind. And Jesus said, just because you think, don't say it with your mouth, but you think it with your mind, it's the same as if you already did it. Hello, somebody. I knew I had, I had to show, I had to show leadership. I like to have it together. I have it together a lot. But I got to go to my XP and say, I didn't have it together today. I got to go to the connections pastor and say, I didn't have it together today. I said, well, then why'd you tell all of us? Because it kills my flesh. And because the spirit told me that somebody needed to hear it. See, discipleship is not just the moments of stepping forward. Thou art the Christ. Enjoy those moments, by the way. Rejoice in those moments. Exhilarate both in your own moments of great growth in that sense and in the moments of others. But understand true discipleship is not just moments of advancement. It's also moments of failure. Do you understand that Peter preached about the grace and the love and the mercy of God differently? After he denied Jesus? Come on now. I, I promise you that that boy preached the gospel differently because of the broken moment in which he went out and wept bitterly because he had failed his Lord and his Savior. I don't like that. I don't like it as parents. Regina and I have, we have talked very honestly with, our, with one another, and, and, and we hate it because the moments that most define us as Christians are our moments of failure. We're raising five kids that we don't want to go through any of that failure, and we're going to do everything we can to not have them go through that failure, and yet I know that what is going to make them true Christians is when they go through inevitably moments of failure and then make a choice in how they respond to that failure in their love and their care and their dedication to Jesus Christ. Because that's what's made us who we are. It's not our moments of success. It's our moments of failure. It's not our moments of revelation, and they're great. But it's our moments where we fell back a step and we rebuke the Lord. And he's got to look at us and go, Get behind me, Satan. You're not looking at things through God's eyes. You're looking at them through human eyes. Both for us individually and for those that we influence, moments of discipleship are both good and bad. They're both exhilarating and they're frustrating. They're steps forward and they're slides back. The key is, keep moving. The key is, keep moving. Take the affirmation when you get it, but take the correction when you get it as well. Take the love, but understand the greatest love he has for you 
Hebrews tells us that if you were not his child, he would not discipline you. He would abandon you as a bastard. The fact that God gets up in your business, the fact that God corrects you, the fact that God convicts you is evidence of his love, not his displeasure. Is he pleased that he's got to correct you? No, because you've done something that's wrong. But can I break some news to you? Jesus is not as bothered as we've painted him as being over our sin. Do you realize that every sin we have ever committed, we are about to commit or will ever commit, he already intimately knows it because he took it into his body on the cross. It may be news to you how jacked up you are. It's not news to him. It may be a revelation to you how far you have to go. It's not a revelation to him. And while he's not pleased with your brokenness, he is not disillusioned by it either because he's come to seek and to save the lost. He went to the cross and he died for you to save you. So when disciples fail, don't lose your, don't lose your place. Don't become disillusioned. You're finding out that your pastor and his wife are having trouble with menopause rocks your world. You got too much faith in your pastor. You better get your faith in God. I'm not saving you. They're going to come a day, ladies and gentlemen, like it or not, when I will no longer be your pastor and some schmuck will come right after me. It might be a woman, it might be a man, and they'll have their own foibles, and they'll fix some things, and you'll go, man, that's a lot better than Steve. And then you just wait, and there'll be some other things that show up and go, oh, man, where's Steve? This is crazy. You, you, you are, this, we are not your Savior. People who fill this pulpit, people who sit in classes and teach you, we are not your Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. We're fellow laborers. We are co-travelers with you. Don't put your faith in your hope in humanity. Put your faith in your hope in the God of the universe. He who loved you and will not fail you. But for one weird reason or another, he's chosen to make us who we are in his body using fellow disciples. I got the Holy Ghost because somebody preached about it. I got baptized because somebody put their hands on me and put me under the water. I don't even know if I'd know how mad I was at my wife if I wasn't caring about Leela and Desi and thinking about them and suddenly realizing there was something more than was supposed to be there. I was mad enough at her that I didn't care about her at that moment. I'm honest. I wouldn't, I, she could have, I said, you deserved it, woman. I was mad. But you didn't deserve it, and you didn't deserve it. See, God uses human beings in our lives to move us, to affect us, to break up the ground that's hard in our hearts. It might, I might not be the one to move you. It might be somebody else's cry, somebody else's need. But we're all in a process of discipleship, and that discipleship is made up of moments, moments of advancement and moments of failure. God uses both of them. 
He uses them in my life to make me a disciple. And he uses them in your life as he's making you a disciple. Don't run from them in your own life. And don't run from them in the lives of others. Yes, it's disappointing. Yes, it feels horrible when you realize that you failed or you did something wrong. Yes, it's depressing and overwhelming at times when you wonder, is anybody going to get this as you're trying to model or you're trying to lead somebody? Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Peter laid hands on the people of Samaria along with John. Peter was set free by an angel as he was in prison. Yeah, Peter was pretty stupid now he handed Cornelius. I ain't supposed to be in your house. It's dirty. <laughs> but he still preached enough of the gospel that God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And then he had enough courage at least to go to Jerusalem and say, hey, look, boys, he filled him with the Holy Ghost just like he did us. So what do you want me to do? He stood up in Acts 15 and said they don't need to be circumcised. God has chosen now, yeah, he got caught away with James's men that were sent to, to Antioch, and he withdrew from the brethren. So you, you got a mixture going on here. Not everybody's got it all together, and then we're not going to have it all together. But all I know is at the end, if church history is correct, Peter stayed faithful to the gospel, and he and his buddy Paul ended their lives in the same city, perhaps within close proximity of time. We don't know. Perhaps even in the same cells, I plan on seeing Peter in heaven. I don't think he's going to be standing at the pearly gates checking my bags, okay? <laughs> but I still do plan on seeing Peter in heaven. I plan on seeing Paul in heaven. Paul had an attitude problem. Paul had a temper problem. You don't believe me? Go read Galatians. Paul was hot under the collar at times. You read the Bible, you be honest with yourself about the Bible, you're going to find human beings with flaws, but every one of them are taking steps towards Christ, failing, and then taking more steps towards Christ. These are the moments of discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple, and this is what it means to make disciples. So I encourage you tonight that as you are becoming a disciple, don't seek out the moments of failure, but when you fail turn towards Christ. And I'm not saying rejoice when those you are mentoring or you are reaching for or caring for that they also fail. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Because you're never going to know. You're never going to know in the moment of discipleship what all God is doing. Don't lose hope. Just keep moving. Can we stand together? Jesus, I love you tonight. God, I lift my hand to you, Lord Jesus. I lift my voice to you. And I thank you for the love and the mercy and the grace that you have towards all of us. All of us in our brokenness, all of us in our imperfection. But God, you are faithful. God, you are good. Your mercy is new every single morning. And you have died on Calvary. There's not a sin you can't handle. There's not a brokenness that you can't overcome. And I am thankful for the body that you've built here. Thank you for my church family. Thank you, Lord, for the love and the care that we have.